yeah, on a beautiful Arizona Saturday. Good morning to all of you, and welcome to the Outdoor Living Hour of Rosie on the House. We've got John J. Harper here, going to be addressing any question you might have about your lawn, your garden, your hardscape, your hedges, or whatever it may be. You can reach him and ask your question by dialing toll-free 1-888-767-4348. But before we get into that segment, I have begged Romy for just a few seconds of programming airtime to do a desperate plea for help wanted. If you, Rosie on the House Remodeling is a small little bitty company. But we need help in virtually every single category. We are currently backed up for first appointments to the third week of November. We can't start another remodeling job until April or May of 2018. If you're in the trades and you consider yourself the best of the best, contact us at rosieonthehouse.com. If you're a kitchen or bath designer and you consider yourself the best of the best and you want to come work at the perfect remodeling company that establishes the perfect experience for every customer every time you want to upgrade your career, contact us at rosieonthehouse.com. We have positions available virtually in every single area of the company. Please. We need help. <laughs> I've never, ever seen it like this. So with that said, I'll turn it over to Romy and John J. Harper, and let's get into the outdoor living segment at Rosie on the House. And a common theme today is kind of aging in place. Part of that is the physical health aspect. We had Katie Stumbo of Go Conquer Fitness in our 7 o'clock hour talking about Primarily walking. Just get out and walk. You know, sound, I, I, hate it. I hate it when Katie comes in. Because <laughs> you got this box of donuts sitting out there. And I see Katie sitting in here. I'm like, nope, just a half today. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're going to make it even harder on you. Okay. I've got our sales team uh, working to get uh, a different type of meal presentation for saturday morning's broadcast instead of walking in and having a bagel or donut you're gonna have to walk avoid the boudin the honey milk biscuits the cane syrup the community coffee oh yeah we're we're gonna have a cajun breakfast in here we're gonna do this every saturday morning that's the goal that's what i'm talking about i think i can hook you up with the eggs (laughs) there you go there you go uh you you just might be able to (laughs) you have a connection there i have an egg or two we can find Speaking of which, you want to talk about that a little bit? New sure. uh, new transition, the kind of a, like your newsletter said, the end of an era with so after, Harper's Nursery. After 72 years, the Harper's Nursery, as we know it, is, is going and has gone away. I mean, we are down to, you know, cleaning up the lot, um, uh, our last nursery. So we've, we've all transitioned into different uh, fields. For years, we sold products made by Hickman's, uh, chicken manure fertilizer products. Their company or division is called the Farm's Choice. And, and say that one more time, because I had a couple people email in that said, Romy had a visitor talking about chickens and compost and gardening, and I didn't get the name of that product. And I thought, well, this guy doesn't, he knows my name, but 
he says a visitor. I'm like, Jay's been. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is a I guess I'm a visitor now, starting over. Um, maybe, maybe it was just the first time you heard the farm's choice. Well, maybe it was the and, first time you heard the show. I don't know. But uh, <laughs> seemed to know this called the farm's choice. That's the division that, that makes fertilizer uh, from Hickman's Lane hens. Uh, and we sell fertilizer to farmers, golf courses, lawn and garden centers, uh, all over the Southwest, really. Um, so we were buying at Harper's from uh, the Farm's Choice, and uh, Jim Marshall, the manager of the, of the fertilizer division, who is also my sales rep, and I started talking and said, when you're ready, we'll, we'll be ready. So about six months ago, I kind of came on board with them as we were transitioning out of the nursery business, and here we are today. The last week or two, I've been pretty much just out there selling as much chicken manure as I can sell. <laughs> and chicken manure goes on, can you, can you, do you use it as an overseed or is it too expensive for that? No, we have a composted product that you, that, that's very reasonable for top dressing, uh, for overseeding for ryegrass. We sell uh, turf products to golf courses. So it's a very small fertilizer pellet. Um, we have a larger pellet that we call an ag pellet that can go on to, you know, any kind of tree, shrub, landscape application, uh, you name it. We also have a crumble product, a heat-treated product that's also uh, carries, all of those products carry, uh, or not the turf, but the ag pellet and the, and the heat-treated product, which is like a crumble, carry a food safety uh, certificate. So you can use them on leafy greens and edibles. They're all OMRI certified. Um, we sell a compost, as I mentioned. And, uh, and then to, to some farms, we sell just a lot of bulk product. Uh, that they're working into their products. And we're also uh, uh, developing a liquid product. So lots of different things going on. They've made a huge commitment to, to uh, increase their production. They've, they're putting in a whole new screening complex so we can screen faster and get more product turned out quicker. And uh, look, for us at, uh, look for us at a lot of the, the major lawn and garden, <laughs> independently owned lawn and garden retailers around town. Now with 7 million chickens oh no that's there's about 12 <laughs> is there 12 yeah it, it just 12, depends on the day 12 million chickens and depends on the, uh, their stage of uh, in progress but it, it can range up upwards <laughs> of about 12 million chickens when they and they and they make about one pound of fertilizer per month per chicken and they're always so making fertilizer. plenty of inventory <laughs> they're always making fertilizer from hatch but they, I mean, it takes 18 months before they start laying. So at least you're now, you know, it's not just a complete feed and wait to lay. No, the you fertilizer start starts, right starts away. day one. Yeah, <laughs> or making product right yeah. away. Anyway. The egg guys, they got to wait a little while before they can sell anything. We're we're in business right away. So very cool. Congratulations on the Thank new you. that. Uh, that plant, I drove by it, oh, I don't know, when was Tinley's volleyball game? She had a volleyball game in Arlington there in our district, and we drove by the big Hickman's Okay, yeah, plant. we drove right by it. And uh, how many are on that one? Was Is that the four million house? Uh, no, Tonopah's probably the biggest one, which okay. is further west. Uh, there's there's only a couple million. At, and there's two plants, so there's a north and a south mm -hmm. at Arlington. So uh, a lot of the pullets are at Arlington where, you know, they're the ones that are the babies. You know, the babies, and uh, before they get ready to go into an actual laying house, uh, there's also a, a protein plant at Arlington and a feed mill. So, so they bring in carloads of grain and turn it into their feed 
mix it with some calcium and so for egg strength and to make their own feed uh, and make our own fertilizer, uh, render our own protein meal, uh, which then can go into fertilizer or pet food products, that sort of thing. So there's not much goes to waste out there. I was trying to tell the kids what all was on that, that plant, and I was off there a little bit, just guessing by looking. I haven't had a tour of that site yet, but and I think I was off because I, I told them that was the four million hen house barns well, but you know they're not off by that much. a million here just just another reason to take a drive back out there because that's <laughs> that's pretty ag country it's a neat drive it, it is i took my dad we i had to go deliver a pallet of product to globe and you know my dad has a lot of ties to globe and loves good mexican food so i said you know and he hadn't seen the plant yet so we we, we had quite a drive we drove out to arlington <laughs> i showed him the plant gave him a little tour Picked up a pallet of fertilizer, went to Globe, delivered that, had a little Mexican food, and came home. But nice. it's, a, it's a cool drive. It really is. But we're here to take your calls about landscape and gardening and a roundabout way of saying that uh, gardening was a great way. Talking on our conversation of aging in place to keep active. And what Katie Stumble was saying is a, you know, something in motion stays in motion. Something at rest stays in rest. And just being out there raking, gardening, planting cultivating squishing well, bugs number one <laughs> just getting outside and getting some good outside fresh air number two the amount of stretching and flexibility that, that is required to do the even the most minute gardening tasks will help with your with your flexibility uh, your balance um, a lot of core stuff i mean you can be in pretty good shape and you go do a, a couple hours with the yard work you know, right now a lot of bulk pickup, bulk trash going on. I see a lot of guys out there yeah. trimming and going crazy. You'd be sore the next day. You know, it's just a whole different set of muscles. So um, some you have to maybe do a few things a little different. There's things that I won't do anymore, like get on top of a 10- or 12-foot ladder <laughs> with a pole pruner in my hand on top of that. It's, you know, okay. Where's I'm, the I'm, cherry picker? <laughs> I'm not doing that anymore. Um, uh, things like knee pads are real handy these days so that you know can get down and stay on your knees a little longer um, things like longer handled pruners and tools so you don't have to um, I don't know about you but if, if I even just kind of bump something I bleed <laughs> so uh, longer handled pruners that you don't have to reach in there and you know and, and uh, scar yourself up so badly um, just, just make sure that you've got the proper tools. That makes any job easier, and especially w with aging. But I think just you know doing a little at a time. Uh, raised beds. Uh, we mentioned uh, before we went on the air talking about getting, getting your planting beds maybe up off the ground a little bit, so you don't have to kneel uh, quite as much and get up and down. So, but that being said, just getting out, you can get walking. A, a lot more done if you're working where a raised bed that's you know, waist high that you can walk around instead of having to get up and get down and get up and get down or crawl around on your hands oh, and knees. Oh, ab ab absolutely. It, it, it's a lot more efficient. It's probably, you know, you're creating a, a, maybe a better growing environment. It, it's, it can be pretty and attractive. You know, use some good Belgard product and make it look good. One of, uh, our, one of our first callers that we're going to take when we get back has a specific question about a raised garden in a particular application. Okay. So that'll be Josh and Gilbert. We've got Andy and Phoenix. 
what wants to know where a particular tropical fruit grows in the United States. And we have an open line for you at one 767 We'll get to calls right after this short break here with John J. Harper in the outdoor living segment of Rosie on the House. Josh and Gilbert starts us off here at Rosie on the House at one 767 4348 That's 1-888-ROSIE for you. Go ahead with your question, Josh. I'm trying to build a little raised uh, garden bed in my yard. The problem is I've got existing citrus trees where I want the raised bed to be, and I don't want to remove the trees. So my concern is if I add a foot and a half of soil to the ground, virtually raising the ground level on those citrus trees, will it cause any problems when it goes over the graft joint? Absolutely. It's, it's a big no-no. Um, you, you will end up killing the tree if you do that. Um, one thing you can do that we've done in the past is actually build two walls. So build a wall just out past the trunk of the tree. If the trees are completely mature and full-grown, you don't have to go out too far, but you need to build a retaining wall that protects the tree from having any soil going up against the trunk, and then build you know build your your wall. So you'd have a you'd have a, a two walled traditional raised garden, two circles basically, an inside circle and an outside circle. Does that make sense? Yes. <clears throat> that's that's the only way that you can accommodate that. That or figure out a way to design the beds so that they're in and amongst your trees, but not circling the tree. Um, there's a couple other reasons that it might not be the best place in the world for a vegetable garden. The fact that the canopy of those citrus trees could be pretty shady to grow to grow certain things. Um, if you have them limbed up high enough, I suppose you know that that still yeah. might work. Um, but but be care- You know, you're just, it's going to take a little maybe a little trial and error as to what will do well and what won't, because it's certainly going to be shadier than, um, you know, if they weren't under the trees. might not be a big issue in the summertime with your summer garden, but in the winter when the days get pretty short, cloudy, cooler, those shadier areas can, can be a little troublesome trying to get certain things to grow. We appreciate the call, Josh. We're going to move. We've got every line full, so let's see how many homeowners we can help this morning. Moving to Andy next, wants to talk about... Uh Mangoes. Good morning, Paul. I'm sorry, Andy. Yeah, I had a question about uh, mangoes. First, I wanted to say Mr. Hickman uh, was on the radio recently discussing the future of the Diamondbacks, whether they're going to stay here or not. He's a county supervisor. Um, my question is, I was at the store, okay. <laughs> Thanks. and I bought some mangoes, and it says produce of USA. And I'm wondering, are they grown in a greenhouse in the United in California or how is it that they uh, they didn't taste as good as the ones from Mexico? But uh, well, I'm wondering where in the United States do they grow mangoes? Do they grow them in Arizona in a greenhouse or what? I, I'm not certain if they were growing mangoes commercially anywhere in the United States. It might be like Florida, um, but uh, that's the only place I can think of. Unless they are greenhouse produced, they they could be grown in a greenhouse just about anywhere in the United States. And there is a, a nursery. I haven't been there in a while. Uh, Tropica Mango. Yeah, out in Apache Junction. In Apache Junction. Junction. Um, they do sell rare and exotic fruit trees. They do sell mangoes. It's a very limited opportunity here for some of those trees. you got to have a little microclimate. 
you know, little nook or cranny or underneath some things uh, to protect them. We're obviously not tropical here. Um, if they did well here, you'd see them in every yard. Everybody who wouldn't want a mango tree or an avocado or a papaya, or some, and some of those will grow here. It just takes the right spot and a little extra work, and that's a good place to go investigate. Tropica Mango Nursery in Apache Junction. I know that Dave Wilson Nursery in California is working very hard to get a grafted avocado that will, will grow in Phoenix. They see a huge market for it. And a lot of requests, but as far as I know, that it's there's all that Aravipa Aravipa yeah. strain that they discovered that might be a little hardier. Um, yeah, you know, it it may happen someday. Yeah, that price of avocados. You you'd want an avocado tree in your yard for sure. <laughs> oh, it would be a perfect tie-in for our tree. We'd have we our- sell lots of. Lots of fertilizer to the avocado guys in Southern Ca- Escondido, Southern California area. They so. use a lot of that uh, chicken they compost. Do. Okay. Yeah. Well, we got the we got the soil amendment here for the chicken. We can we can feed them. <laughs> we can figure out one that will grow well here. You so, bet. I'll be excited to see that era viper. Let's go. Uh, Paul's next on the line. Let's talk ryegrass at one triple eight seven six seven four three four eight. Hello. Yes, sir. Yes, um, I got. I drew down some ryegrass I received from last year, and I, I need to put some more down. I don't know where I, I – I don't remember getting it. Is all ryegrass the same? Can I just go to somewhere else and buy another half a bag or five-pound bag or something and throw it down? Well, not all ryegrass is the same, but it's kind of the same. So if you had a perennial blend, which you bought – you know, the nice thing is most all ryegrass seed that you're going to go buy is a blend. There's probably three to four, two to three different varieties of ryegrass in that bag of seed. Um, so if you just add to it, you're probably not going to notice much of a difference. I would probably okay. just take it and lightly scatter it over the entire lawn just to kind of feather it in, however. Um, okay. You know, just to make it kind of homogeneous, if you if you want to use that term. But the the one thing is, ryegrass seed doesn't go bad in one year. So if anybody's got ryegrass seed left over from last year, if it was stored in a dry place, um, go ahead and use it up. You, I would probably add new stuff to it. Uh, but I always keep five or ten pounds extra of seed for filling in those bare spots, then use that seed up the next year and keep some new stuff back. I had a pie-in-the-sky goal of planting the first week in October, and obviously uh, we're past that, and I haven't planted yet. So first week in November? <laughs> no, I wanted to plant the first week of October. <laughs> no, I mean, I that's your new done, goal. Right, right. First, it's the first still the first week. No, I can't. Week. That's a rodeo weekend, so I want to do it this weekend. Got Where it. would I pick up seed today? Today? Yeah. A lot of places. Uh, out by you, uh, Elgin nursery uh, would be a good place to do it jackrabbit nursery on a beautiful arizona saturday morning in the outdoor living hour with farm fresh field what was farms the, the farm choice? choice. <laughs> uh, field, it's all natural fertilizer from oh. the farm's choice. But you're you're like the field. oh I'm a I'm a sales rep, sales representative. All right, cover the eastern half of Arizona and 
south of I-10, so Yuma to Tucson to Wilcox. To and you'd mentioned going to Globe. Did you get all the way to the east side? Is the Crescent Line open? It seems like it was— it, there Crescent was Line a, Steakhouse? Mm-hmm. There's a Don't, period of time it was open, then it was closed, and it was open, it was closed. Actually drove pretty close to it. Don't know. There's a new, uh, fairly new vineyard is who we delivered to called mm. Wagon Vineyard and Estates in Globe. So be looking for that. You know? Interesting. Yeah. So you got vineyards in Globe now. I do. Tell you what, the sides of those teal tillings, it's a <laughs> great, a lot you know, of places. great location for it, I would think. Yeah, with that, uh, like you see them in Europe, planted on the hillsides, uh-huh. and even down in Sonoida, uh, you know, up and down the, the slopes so the cold air drains away and that sort of thing should be good. Hmm. Sure make it a, a, a different aesthetic look than just my mining till I... You know, there's a whole nother option the there. They, they got cattle grazing on some of those old <laughs> slag piles, you know. Slag piles, that's what I was looking for. Right. Well, let's get to Darlene and see how we can help her this Saturday morning. Darlene, Hello? yes, ma'am. Yes. Hi, good morning. How are you guys? Thank you for taking my call. The reason I was calling is um, I have a lemon tree that I've planted. Um, it's been oh, about six, um, going on seven years, and it's about six feet tall. It's green and very perky, but it won't give lemons. And I don't know what I've done wrong. Well, if it's growing and it's healthy and it's green and it's it putting happens. on new foliage, it just may be a matter of, of age. Really? Um, it takes several years to get um, to get citrus to produce generally. Um, huh. So if it's in a good spot okay. and it gets plenty of sunshine, does it bloom? It gets plenty. Do you notice no, it? No, it bloomed the first year that I planted it. It uh-huh. was still small. It did give a few flowers, and then after that, it was nothing, so, like nothing. So it doesn't even bloom in the spring. It well, doesn't even bloom. What are you using for no. fertilizer? Um, just regular from Home Depot. I can't even remember the name of it, but it's for citrus. It so. is a citrus food. Okay, all right. Yeah. And you do it a couple, three times a year? Honestly, not three times. Maybe once, twice max. Okay, but well, I'll start doing it three times. So Labor Day, I, Memorial Day, and Valentine's Day. Oh, okay. So we just we're kind of past the Labor Day, but if you hadn't done it in the in the fall, I would go ahead and do it. And then okay. next, early okay. in the spring, you know, Valentine's Day is be our next one. And then okay. Labor Labor Day at the end of spring or early part of summer. So three times a year. Follow directions on how much. Don't overdo it. Don't try and play catch-up, okay, because you okay. haven't done it. Just use the recommended amount each time. Okay. Okay? Okay. Um, one last – this is the last one, I promise. Um, I do have an <laughs> avocado tree, and I heard you guys talking about it. I brought it – my mom has a tree in L.A., and I, you know, I brought the avocado, and we ate it, and, and I put the bone in water, and it grew. And right now it's about – maybe about a foot, mm-hmm. what are my chances? Should I transplant it on the ground or just leave it where I have it in the, in the pot? I would probably leave it potted now until spring. I don't... Um, okay. The avocado, okay. one of the problems with avocados here is they're, they're not as cold hardy as citrus. So you might want to get it in a pot, move it outside. If it's not outside, maybe in the, sh- in the shade or on the patio so it starts acclimating and then early next spring get it planted. We appreciate the call, and hopefully that gives you lined out for the weekend or two. <laughs> yeah, she's got to get some feeding done. And citrus typically from a five-gallon starter. 
it takes a couple years. Citrus doesn't produce well, from on a, new from growth. A, from a five gallon, it's going to take you know four or five years probably. Um, citrus starts producing at about six years of age, something like that. But even even if you bought a five or six year old tree, it takes a couple of years after planting. It just doesn't seem to matter with citrus how big and how old you plant them. It takes a couple of years to start getting a crop. We appreciate it, and it sounds like you're pretty close, and encourage that bloom. Ours, <clears throat> uh, one spring it was so windy, it seemed like the blooms never <laughs> weren't even on the tree long enough to, to Well, get... it's interesting because usually lemon tree, if you have a lemon tree, you get, you're trying to give them to everybody in sight, you know, you don't... <laughs> you've got more lemons than you than you know what to do with so uh, and, and that's so it's a kind of an unusual case that lemons not are not producing they're pretty darn vigorous and reliable so, all right well good luck darlene thanks for the call let's move to joan with an open an op, now an open line at one triple eight seven six seven four three four eight that's one triple eight rosie for you go ahead joan good morning uh we were Starting today, this morning, to harvest about half of our sweet potatoes. And all summer, they have been beautiful green. In fact, they've overtaken half the yard. (laughs) But when we've started to dig them up, they're like big, long, skinny carrots. What did we do wrong? Well, I've I've never harvested sweet potatoes this early. It's always been closer to Thanksgiving, which is, you know, still a month away. That might or might not make much difference. Too tight a soil would maybe a lot not allow that that tuber or root to get as big and plump as it should. Have you grown sweet potatoes there before? But but will in in another month with those big long things really get any bigger? We I still don't. have half of them to harvest, but it doesn't appear to me that they're going to change that much. Well, 30 days can make some difference, but maybe not. Have you grown sweet potatoes there before? Yes. And, and have... um, better success than this. They have never been, the foliage has never been as big and beautiful as it was you this know... year. It just was gorgeous. It was a beautiful ground cover, but... It is, yeah. But... Have you... Do you know if you grew the same variety, or do you have any idea on that, or how did you get your start? No, we just we just grew them from slips, you know, by Made putting the sweet potato in the water and, okay. and getting the slip. slips. Okay. Well, phosphorus will help with root development, so perhaps next year use a little more maybe bone meal or triple phosphate or something like that in the ground before you plant, uh, and that might help you get some bigger... Uh, more robust uh, potatoes. And this is what a lot of people, uh, I think, get discouraged by gardening and planting is you can have a great year and then have a bad year. I mean, this, there's a reason farmers make a living at it. They're good at it. They've <laughs> well, and even farmers think, figure <laughs> if they have bad one good year out of four or five, actually. you know, So 20% of the time is kind of their... A lot of times their goal is to, to make money. They need to have about one out of every four or five be a really good year. So, yeah, they have bad years. And I've done the same thing as you, Joan. We'd cut a sweet potato in half. We stuck toothpicks in it. We put it in a mason jar. It got roots. We put it in the ground. Had a huge harvest. And that was, uh, that was the first time we ever planted in that spot. I haven't been able to do that again. <laughs> and that's been a, probably three seasons. 
Well, uh, you know, it, it just might be that you need to add some phosphorus, you know, for, for root development in that before you plant again. Well, uh, the chickens, if, it's a chicken coop now at that spot. <laughs> there you go. Well, move that chicken coop, it'll probably grow some really good sweet potatoes. That's the plan. They've been there about two years now, and the end of next year we'll move it around, there and that'll go. that'll go back to the, the plant garden. <laughs> Let's get to Rob and Mason and see how we can help them on uh, Bermuda grass. Good morning, sir. Morning. Uh, yeah, my question is, I have uh, my front yard gets probably the first, I don't know, probably till 11 or 11.30 is almost completely shaded by my neighbor's tree. And I had Bermuda grass in there, but I just cannot get it in to grow, get it to grow in very thick or hardly at all even. Even if I just water the heck out of it, it just really doesn't grow very well. I tried to overseed it and it never really took. And I um, wanted to see if you have any suggestions or maybe it's time to go to a different grass or to desert landscaping or something like that. Probably time to grow to a different grass or desert landscaping. <laughs> um, if you've got or a lot arti- of shade. Or artificial grass. Um, that might be an application. Yeah. Shady areas, if you really, you know, artificial turf's not a bad way to go. thing you might try if you're going to overseed with winter ryegrass would be to put some fescue in with that winter ryegrass this fall. Uh, fescue is more heat tolerant than ryegrasses in the shade. It can go through the summer if it's somewhat shaded. So that's an alternative maybe to try this year is in with your ryegrass, do some fescue. You, you almost have to do it in the fall or early winter. If you wait until it's hot, that ryegrass dies. Now you've got no grass there at all. Hard to get fescue to establish in the hot weather. There's a couple options for you. We appreciate the call and that's uh that is Bermuda's crutch is shade. It's it you can't hardly kill it. <laughs> Once it's there, it just comes out of nowhere. But man, if it's shaded, it just it does not like that. Uh, nope, it sure doesn't. Mike in Apache Junction and one triple eight seven six seven four three four eight. Welcome to the program. Thank you. Good morning, guys. I have a couple of raised planter beds doing some organic gardening. Uh, trying to raise some tomatoes and bell peppers, squash, carrots, and uh, we're having a terrible problem with crickets. And I was wondering if you could help me with anything organic or that would help with the crickets that wouldn't uh, hurt the rabbits and the doves that I have around the area. Well, you can put out diatomaceous earth. Um, crickets will crawl through it, and it gets in their joints and crevices and nooks and crannies in their body and kind of slices and dices them, and they, you know, they die of dehydration. Um, you know, if the chickens pecked at it, it, it won't hurt them. Uh, you know, you, you want to be careful aspirating it. So with dogs and cats and that, it, it might be, you could work it into the ground a little bit. If you've got pets, don't just leave it lay on top of the ground, but that'd be the one thing I would give a try to. Okay. What about doing something about the eggs that are laying currently? Is there anything I can do for that? I don't. I don't know. You know, another thing, try and get some geckos, some lizards, some, <laughs> some other, you know, things that will help eat crickets. Unfortunately, usually people that have lots of crickets and things, you know, might end up with scorpions and different things like that because that's what they like to eat. But, um, man, I have got. I don't know how I got them. I didn't put them there. But those uh, bantail gecko lizards, I've got hundreds of them. I don't have a cricket anywhere, and and I've got. Lots of dark, shady, wet, landscaped areas. I should have crickets, and I don't. And 
is a, is praying mantis something that would eat the smaller eggs or maybe maybe, uh, maybe. I'm, I'm not sure that would be a something we'd have to look into I, I don't know I don't know I think the diatomaceous earth would would definitely as those eggs hatched out would would be really deadly on the on the very young softer bodied crickets for sure especially before they can hop <laughs> yeah. over your diatomaceous right. right barrier line. For sure. So, there's a couple options for you. Uh, nurseries in Mesa. A&P's got one way out there east, don't they? They're out on about Wrecker and Brown, and then they're also in Queen Creek. But, yeah, if he's in far east Mesa, Wrecker and Brown A&P nursery would work for him. So, there you go, Mike. We appreciate the call. Let's see. We're going to... Uh, can't stop the clock. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be back right after this. We've got Roland and Brian online. On a beautiful Arizona Saturday morning, we invite Roland into the conversation at one 767 Wants to talk about his ash tree. Hey, Romy. Before you go to Roland, I don't know if you've been on Facebook this morning, our page, but we Janine wrote in after she heard the gentleman ask about mangoes. And she belongs to the Arizona Rare Fruit Growers Club. Have you heard of that, Jay? Oh, yeah. Yeah. They're very active. She said they grow bananas, mangoes, loquat, star fruit. Kind of interesting. Yeah. And you were talking about microclimates, and they'd mm-hmm. be a good resource to, you know, where. A lot of those you see up against a house, like you said, that's shaded or under well, a bigger tree. If you've got those those shady, hard-to-grow grass in places, sometimes they're great places to grow something like a, a tropical fruit. Um, and we've certainly gotten warmer in the central part of Phoenix um, than we were years ago, too. So we've created our own little microclimate in certain neighborhoods, and uh, you know, particularly central Phoenix, Arcadia, older parts of Mesa. Uh, that might even have flood irrigation. So if you're interested in, um, in in knowing more about or trying to grow those things, I would encourage you to belong and join uh, a club like the Arizona Rare Fruit Society. Um, they, they can they really they have lots of meetings, they can help you uh, you know avoid some of the mistakes and pitfalls and tell you what you should or shouldn't try and do. So, very good. We appreciate the tip. Let's see how we can help uh, Roland with his ash tree. Good morning. Thanks for taking the call. Uh, I've got four ash trees. Two, all four were doing really good up until about a month ago. Two are still doing really good. The two have the leaves are getting brown spots. Some of the leaves are turning completely brown. They're falling off. I'm still watering like I was once a week uh, for about three hours. The only thing I've done different is I fertilized them. Uh, Could that have caused this? Could I put too much fertilizer on there? Oh, sure. Yeah. What did you use for fertilizer? It was, uh, I bought it at the nursery, you know, three numbers, like 5, 15, and 5 or something. Mm-hmm. I followed the instructions. It said uh, like half a cup per inch of uh, trunk. The trunks are probably three inches to four inches thick. Okay. And I just scattered it around the roots and then turned the water on. 
Okay. You did you water first, or were they were they needing a drink of water when you put fertilizer on? They were probably needing a drink. Okay, that could cause it. Even if you use the proper amount of fertilizer, if you feed a dry plant, um, then you go to water that fertilizer in. It goes in much quicker and more concentrated than uh, than it should. So always water first, or have just watered. A lawn, a plant, a planter, a flower bed, whatever you're feeding uh, should be previously watered or watered prior to applying the fertilizer. Then water the fertilizer in again. For his ash tree right now, is there anything you should do? I mean, it is going dormant. They're going to go dormant. There's, I wouldn't worry too much about it. You know, those leaves are going to start falling off here in the next 30 to 45 days. Probably don't want to encourage a lot of new growth at this point anyway. And just wait and see. But ash trees, we had that stretch of really hot weather um, at the end of June and going into early July. And things like ash trees really suffered uh, with that 118, 19, 20 degree temperatures. Let's see if we can sneak Brian in real quick and wrap up our outdoor living hour in Buckeye, excuse me, Goodyear, Arizona. Goodyear, cool. yes. Yes, sir. How are you guys? <laughs> Good. We got just about 20 seconds here for you. Very good. I'm trying to, our sisu trees have become very invasive, and I'm considering using a tipu tree instead of a sisu tree. I wonder what your opinions on those are. Don't seem to have any of the invasive problems. Um, it's a great tree. I love it. It flowers nicely. Uh, I, I couldn't think of a reason not to do that. Perfect. That's what I was worried about. The sissy tree, the root systems, I've been told to get really invasive, and I have neighbors that have removed several because of that. It, it seems like once you cut yeah, it, it's they usually become the invasive. problem. <laughs> it usually is a bigger problem once you remove it than it is oh, once really? they're growing. Yeah. So, so if you're not having for them. <laughs> if you're not having any current problems, I would avoid cutting them down. And that's when the trouble usually starts. Okay. Very good. Well, thanks, guys. That answers my question. I appreciate it. You bet. Have a, have a great day. You too, Brian. Thank you. Our My neighbor has planted a sisu tree, and man, that is the envy of the neighborhood in the summer. He's got it along his drive in the, in the west side of his yeah. property. Most, most 90, Beautiful shade 90% canopy. of the time, the problems don't occur till somebody panics, thinks they have an invade, and then they cut it down. Then they got a problem. <laughs> Not to say you won't get a few shoots and suckers and things coming up off the roots uh, if there's enough water around it. But present. you cut it down, and then mm -hmm. you get... <laughs> A lot more than you bargained for. That's correct. So, yeah, maybe, Brian, your solution for you is just enjoy it and uh, fertilize it, water it, and enjoy the nice shade tree. That'd be my vote. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, uh, Mr. Jay Harper, the field sales rep for the Farm's Choice. Uh, we call it all organic compost or chicken poop compost. <laughs> well, it's, uh, it's we we take chicken manure and make fertilizer, fertilizer pellets, compost, all different products out of dehydrated poultry waste or dehydrated chicken manure. And available at local nurseries and garden centers around the state or in bulk. If you need a pickup truck delivered, or can I take a pickup truck, have them dump it in so I can take it home? You'd and have spread to it. you'd have to go out and have it and have it delivered put in your truck yeah, yeah.